0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be in our midst this morning as we talk about fellowship and gathering and what that looks like in the midst of your church. We ask God that you would lead and guide our discussion, Lord, that your word would speak to us in mighty ways, and even in the midst of... The crazy things that can happen with sound systems and all that, we know, God, that you're still uh, God and that you're still on the throne. And so we give you praise for that this morning. And uh, again, just thank you for all you do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our our text for today, and, and I'm going to have several different ones, but our main text for today, if you want to grab a Bible in front of you, it's going to be in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, and that, if you've got one of those uh, paperback Bibles there, That should be on page 865 in that Bible, 865 all the way towards the back. So when I say fellowship and gathering, we'll get a little more feedback than I did last week. What what do you think about when I say fellowship and gathering? I mean, that's one of the kind of the staple things of the church, you would think, right? So what do you think about when I say we're going to talk about fellowship and gathering today? We use the term fellowship all the time, right? You know, we're going to do fellowship, we're going to do... This uh, and it's going to be fellowship wide, and you know that all that. So What do you think about when you when you hear those words? Yes, Jacob. Uh, the Greek word ecclesia, which I uh, I don't steal my thunder <laughs> now. I'm about to talk about that, but okay, go ahead. Good, you're good. You're right on track. Go for it. Yeah, which um, translates to uh, church um, in our vernacular, but also uh, translates to um, congregation. Yeah. So, Jacob, you want to come teach this? Because I think you might be able to... It sounds like you might be able to do better Uh, than me this morning. They have the term "episynagogue," which is really cool. Because you look at that, it's like gathering together. The root word is our word for synagogue. Yeah. So, ekklesia, yes, the Greek word church. Gathering, right? So, when I say church... What are, what comes to mind when I say what's the purpose of the church? Before we read our text today, what would you say the purpose of church is? What, worship, God. worship God, okay. To be the body of Christ. To be the body of Christ. Good. Anything else? Anything else? The churches. Encourage one another. There you go. Encourage one another. One another. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, there you go. There's that word. That's that's good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's look at uh, at Hebrews 10 in light of what you just said. Worship of the church is because I think the book of Hebrews really gives us a context for worship uh, and what we are to do as gatherers and followers of, of Jesus. And so Hebrews 10, skip down to verse 23. We'll read 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So when you see the writer of Hebrews, he begins to talk about what it looks like. And in the book of Hebrews, you know, if we had time, we could we could really talk through the whole book of Hebrews. But it's a it really is a very, I guess, liturgical book, and and kind of showing us how we worship as the church in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's it's pretty fascinating, and it, it fits well into our context of of liturgy and 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 um, and worship in the way that we do things. But this particular passage, the writer of Hebrews says. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So there's a there's a call, if you will. Uh, uh, here's what you should do. As we gather together in worship, as we gather together to fellowship, to to be together as believers, the first thing we are to do is to hold fast to the confession of our hope. And so that confession of our hope, obviously, is. I mean, it's the very thing that we say as a confession today. Uh, the, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, those the creeds that we use are our confessions of faith. Those are things that, that we're saying. Now, in the book of Hebrews, the Nicene Creed had not been written yet, nor had the Apostles' Creed been written yet. But the writer of Hebrews was very cognizant of saying, when we gather, there should be a, a time where we are confessing the very things that we know to be true. The very things that we hold our hope to. And so the writers of the Nicene Creed in 386 uh, came together and said, you know, in light of Hebrews uh, and various other texts, shouldn't we get together and have some sort of corporate confession that we can say together that would be uh, explaining our faith? If we could boil it down to the small thing. We can't say the whole Bible every time we come together, but can we get all the points of the Scriptures together and say, this is our confession? And so the Nicene Creed was actually written as a very ecumenical confession of faith. That's why you see it done in Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, a lot of Presbyterian churches use it, uh, so on and so forth. Methodist. uh, And and even in the Baptist Church on occasions you'll hear the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And so those confessions, uh, are that's kind of where we got those things. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's hold to our confession of our hope. The confession of who Jesus is, who the Trinity is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, hold to that without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so the um, that, that gathering, that fellowshipping, includes confessing of our faith. And then he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How do we do that in worship? How do we do that when we fellowship and gather? What does that look like for you? To stir one another up in good deeds and or to stir one another up in love and good good deeds or good works. What do you, what's the practical playing out of that? What, uh, when we tell each other who's sick or who's in the hospital so that we know so that we can Okay? Kind of attend to the family Sure? The family. Absolutely. Yeah. Stirring one another up in love, there you go. So you're loving one another in that way? Yes. Well, how about what else? Just confession. turn, and go, go back to, to where your strength for these good works comes from. Mm-hmm. Yep. How often, and this is a bit of a soapbox of mine, so forgive me, but how often do we come to church, and, and I'll put myself in this confession time for me, you know. I have come to church on many occasions and gone through the motions and left church and then said, I don't even remember, really remember what I did. I don't remember what the sermon was about. I, I don't I don't I think I remember one or two of the songs. Uh you know, we and, and that's not that's not because I intentionally did that, but I'm not engaging myself in that worship time. And so how I often reflect back on the book of Hebrews and go, how easy is it for me to quote unquote fellowship or gather in a church setting and not be stirred up to love and good works? And so there has to be something, conscience, consciousness of us going, hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to come and I'm going to be around people. Because in a church the size of the Advent, you could easily slip in the back, hear the sermon, engage in the worship, slip right out. And nobody even know you're here if you really wanted to. Um, nobody ever get to know you. But that's not what the book of hebrews that's not what the writer of hebrews is saying when he says when you gather when we fellowship we stir one another up in love and good works now we do a lot of that in small group ministry certainly but on Sundays, the way i think is the best way for us to do this and the hebrew writer i think i think would agree with me in saying that when we gather we hear god's word we hear the preaching of god's word but we interact with that word as well and so if i go to lunch with somebody afterwards It might look like me saying, hey, what did you think of the sermon today? Or what can we do in response to what we've heard today? How can we stir one another up in love and good works? Is God calling us as a people of God to do something in response to what we've heard and what we've been stirred up to in the service? I think, I I firmly believe that if the church would do that actively, actively do that each and and, and I get it I I'm, again my confession I know that there are times that I'm going to come and I'm not going to be fully engaged like I need to be but if I can consciously be thinking how can I engage with the word and what I've heard today then I can spur one another on in work in in love and Good, that good works. Now we get scared of that a little bit, by the way, um, that, that's scary. I mean, we, if we're, if you're a, a theological person, you're going, well, you know, salvation is not based on works. It is by grace alone through faith alone. hundred percent. I would never disagree with that. However, James is pretty clear that faith without works is dead. And so there's this, there's this balance of, I am redeemed by grace and through faith. And because of that, I've been called to something. I've been called to do something. I've been called to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said in his, uh, oftentimes when the disciples would ask him or when somebody would come up and ask him, you know, I always think about the the rich young ruler, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't say, you need to say a prayer and accept me as your savior and uh, and then and, and do some other things. He, he didn't give him a list. Of, he said, go and sell everything you have and follow me. Do the works that I'm calling you to do. the things that I'm calling you to do. That is the evidence of the Christian faith. We've been saved by grace through faith, but then we've been called to a great work. We've been called to a great, uh, as as the Hebrew writer says, to good works and to spur one another on in love. And it's not an earning of salvation through that but it's a commitment to following Jesus through that. And so when we think about fellowship and gathering together, there's a bit of fellowship and gathering that then equates to how am I actually doing something because of the fellowship and the gathering? Does that make sense? Um, Because we're, we're spurring one another on. And then in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So... Not only are we spurring one another on, we're confessing our faith, we're loving one another, we're we're being called to good works and to and to action. But then, in the midst of that, we're also called not to do it by ourselves. Don't do it by ourselves. We're not neglecting to meet together. So the writer of Hebrews is clearly saying some have gotten into the habit of thinking I can do the Christian life without this, I can do the Christian life without the church, um, and. I will tell you, I know folks who've tried and you might be able to do it for a little while, but there is a purpose in f- fellowship and gathering. And that is tying it all back. That is to spur one another on. It is to stir one another up. It is to challenge one another. It is to confess our sins to one another. It's it's that vulnerability of saying when we gather together, we're fellowshipping as God's people And we enter into the mess together. Because let me tell you, it's messy. When you start to open up and you start to live life with people and you start to to say, this is what I believe and this is what the Bible is, but I'm not faithful to it at times and I fall short of it at times, there's messiness there. And that's, I believe, where God enters into that. And he begins to stir us up and spur us on. So fellowship is, is living together in such a way that you would know someone well. So it is our hope here at the church, uh, as you all are newcomers or inquirers of the church, uh, it's not that you would just come on Sunday morning and show up and leave. Yes, that's a great thing. That is that is We want you to do that. But there's more to it than that. We actually want you to be engaged and live life with folks and enter into small groups with people and enter into relationships with people so that they know you and we and, and you know them. And that, I would say if I could be so bold as to say, that is what the church actually is to you. This larger gathering is the corporate, yes, but where you're going to see church, ecclesia, played out, stirring up good works, uh, confession to one another, being confronted, doing things to encourage one another, those are going to happen in a smaller context oftentimes. You'll get something in the larger church that might challenge you, but it's in those smaller contexts that you're going to so say, now I'm being challenged to life. Now let's talk about what the sermon was on Sunday when we had a larger gathering so that we can be challenged. Let's fellowship and let's gather around that. Um, again, easy to come to church. Uh, there's a couple of things that I like to, to draw out. And, and maybe you've seen this before. But oftentimes we get, um, we get into this, this habit sometimes. I like to draw four little squares here and uh we we get scared when we talk about fellowship and gathering uh i i know for some people they're like ah it means i gotta be i means i gotta be vulnerable and that means i gotta go do something and i gotta be with people and and they're gonna ask me how my day is and i don't want to tell them how my day is and 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 you know my uh so-and-so did this and you know my kids just drove me crazy today now i gotta go you know i and and i'm all frail and frantic and but but what that is, is it begins to create community. And so when you begin to fellowship and gather with somebody, you have what's called convenient community. So that might be, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Fontaine. I'm going to say, hey, I want to be in a small group. That's pretty convenient. Fontaine will say, hey, we've got these several groups that are going on. You can jump into one of these. You can start your own small group. Uh, what are you thinking? And you can jump in, and that becomes fairly convenient, right? You can find, um, you can find the day that works for you, the place that works for you, the study that works for you, all those things. And you begin to have this convenient community that begins to form. And then, in the midst of that con- convenient community, if you go around the circle here, you get, or the, around the square, you get the chaos. That should be A O S. Whoops, chaos. Chaos begins to happen because you're in community together. And now because you're living in community together, craziness starts to happen. The mess starts to happen right? Because your fellowship and you're gathering together, you you live in community together. I can tell you you know I have we have three kids and when we get together with other families with three and four and five and six kids, uh, it is chaotic. I mean, it is crazy. Things go berserk. You know, our kids are like, woohoo, party time. And you know, it it gets ballistic. Things get really chaotic. But it also gets chaotic as we begin to open up because we're going, now we're entering into the mess. We're entering into each other's mess. We're entering into life, life not going well all the time. Sometimes it's great, we can celebrate, other times we cry together. And so there's chaos. And then, what oftentimes will happen as you enter into fellowship and community with one another is there's this little part down here that is another little thing, and it's called the pit. The pit of despair. We enter into chaos and we go, This is not worth it. I'm out. I am not going to fellowship. I'm not going to gather with people. It's too crazy. It's too, I have to be too vulnerable. And so I go, I'm going to move into this pit of despair and I'm just going to say, forget it. This is not worth it. I'm just going to come on Sunday and do my thing and walk out and not be engaged with anybody. And that's a lot of people's tendency is uh, once the chaos hits, we're not willing to work through the chaos. And so we want to <laughs> go to the pit and say, Pfft, I'm out of here. But then if you can endure and get through the pit of despair, then you begin to move into faith, crucifying faith. Now we start to get real. Now we start to get to a place where we've entered into chaos and we're willing to sit in the mess in the chaos with people and we're willing to say that I'm not crucifying faith, crucifying flesh. Sorry. We don't want to crucify our faith. We want to crucify our flesh. Um, we, uh, We want to crucify flesh. And so we've said This is chaos. I could certainly choose the pit of despair. But now, if I really want to engage and be gathering with people and be in fellowship with one another, know one another, then I put to death the things that I desire and the things that are my flesh. And I begin to be humble, and I begin to be uh, open, and I begin to be vulnerable in a place where I'm saying, oh, now I'm okay sitting in the chaos because I'm putting to death the things that are of mine, and I'm really seeking, what does the Lord desire of me in the fellowship? What does the Lord desire of me to gather with the people of God? And then if we get past this crucifying flesh, then we get to true community. True community. This is where this convenient community, you know, you get together, you kind of, kind of know people, you get through chaos, you go through a pit of despair, you crucify the flesh, and you get here, and you go, now I know these people. Now I can walk in faith. Now I can come together and I can share my deepest, darkest things that are going on, the things that are hurting, the things that are that are bad, the things that are good, the things that are that we can rejoice over, the things that we're going to cry over, and you begin to see a community around you that says, we love you anyway. I believe that's what the book of Hebrews is actually pointing us to when it says to fellowship and gather. It's saying to stir one another up in good works, not neglecting to meet. So down here would be the neglecting to meet with one another. Oh, this is too hard. I don't want to do this. But if we're not doing that and we're drawing near, so we're putting to death ourselves, and we're finally moving into what true community looks like, we begin to experience what it looks like to be the family of God. And when we get to that place then we begin to see those layers of the onion begin to peel back and God saying, now I'm going to work. Now I'm going to move. Now I'm going to do something in you that you would never expect because you are now vulnerable and you're willing to let me work through you because you've crucified the things and the desires of your flesh. So it goes back to that ecclesia again. The ekklesia actually definition-wise in the Greek does mean church, but if you were to define that, it would be those called out to gather together. So the church is actually those called out to gather together. It's the people of God being called together to worship, to, uh, to fellowship, to be in uh, community with one another. Um, let, let's read just a couple of things and kind of d- dive into ecclesia just a minute. If you go to John chapter 13, I'm going to call I've got four passages here, so maybe we can kind of all pick one so that we're not having to bounce around. We can go a little faster. John chapter 13 verse 35 if somebody will find that one for me. John 13:35. That's somewhere in the 770 range or so in the in the Bible there. And then somebody will look at Acts chapter two. Who has thirteen thirty-five? Let's. Who's going to look it up? You don't have to have it right this second. But, okay, Stephen's got it. Okay, somebody want to take Acts two forty-two through forty-seven? Anybody want to look for that one? Acts two. Okay, Fontaine. Acts two forty-two through forty-seven. And then somebody look up First Timothy trick on the on on any of the books that start with t in the new testament all the t's are together i don't know if you knew that once you get to thessalonians got timothy uh first timothy 3 15 okay and then i'll look up romans chapter 12 for us okay so stephen you had the first one right so just listen as he reads, and let's see if we can pick out some familiar things as we read through these various passages. So go ahead, Stephen, read uh, 1335. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love, that you have love for one another. Okay. Uh, who had Acts? Fontaine had Acts? And they devoted themselves <coughs> to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Awesome. Okay. Uh, 1 Timothy three fifteen. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar. And a of the truth. Okay, and then Romans 3, I'll read that for us. For by grace, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do, all, do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophesying in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So if you read all those, I know we just did a lot there, Um, let's kind of debrief a little bit. What what were some of the things that you kind of, maybe some common threads that you heard in some of those? Contributing to the need of one another. Yeah. Yeah. Contribute to the need. Let's see if I go here. In the that you wrote. Yep. So contri- or, let's say looking out for one another. Okay. Anything else you heard? It's like prayer. And ex. Yeah. Pray. There's a key word in, in, in Romans... Let. Did you hear that word? Let love be genuine. So to actually love one another—that's hard in fellowship, by the way, because uh, sometimes we're going to be around people that are really hard to love, and you're like, I don't want to love this person. Um, and uh, and that's where we—that's cru- where that crucifying flesh comes in. Have to say, how, what does it look like for Jesus to love this person, and how can I do that? So loving one another. Yeah, we're these are all the things that the church these are all characteristics of the church. What else? Do you hear anything else in there? Gifts. Yes. Yeah. Using your gifts. Gifts for the Lord. Good. And you may want to <clears throat> talk to me later about this, but how do you decide? There are several different groups. Yeah. And that may be an earlier session or one that you're going to repeat later. How to find a small group? Or yeah. I can connect. Yeah, <laughs> she's Fontaine <laughs> is the person. The yeah, yeah, she's your. I can contact you this week. Okay. Yeah, I can out what works. help you kind of figure out what works. Um, yeah. yeah, she's. She's the master of that. She's got you. So, um, yeah, that's a great question, though, um, to to connect with folks who are somewhat like-minded, but also at the same time studying some of the things, same things that you want to study, or um, same stage of life at time. You know, you'll you can kind of sort through some of that. She can help you sort through that. Yeah. So looking out for one another or uh, giving to one another as, as you find needs, praying for one another, loving one another, and gifts, using the gifts of the Lord uh, with one another. Um, all these things, I think, are really what it looks like to be the called out, the believers of God, the, the ones who are the family of God is everyone who has made Jesus their Lord. Now, it, think about that for a minute. The family of God is everyone who's made Jesus their Lord. Because God becomes their father, and so we're, we're part of a family. Together, they're devoted to the word, they're devoted to prayer, they're devoted to fellowship with other brothers and sisters, they gather and bear fruit consistent with the gospel witness in their own communities. <clears throat> now, obviously, an, another, a, another discussion would be, what about those who are not part of or who have not made Jesus their Lord? We want them to be part of the family. We want them to come and be part of the family. We want them to know. And and the one of the ways that we do that is if we back up to Hebrews, to spur one another on or stir one another up in love and good works. And so good works, I think uh, the writer of Hebrews would have in mind, good works being... Uh, to be faithful, to to share the gospel with folks so that they might come into the family of God. That that certainly, that's not all the good works, but, but certainly those good works spur others on to say, what does it look like to be the church? How I, I want to be part of a place that looks out for one another, that prays for one another, that certainly loves one another, even when we're difficult to love, and are willing to use their gifts for the glory of God. And so when we're being the church and when we're fellowship and gathering together then we are doing those things faithfully. Now there's more, that list could go get a lot bigger uh, when it, when we talk about what the church could do and what the church should be. Uh, but the family of God, again, is everyone who serves the Lord. And so that's where our challenge becomes. And that's where I want to just encourage you today. As you get involved here at the Advent, one of the ways uh, that you begin to be the church is to, to do these very things, even when it's hard, even when there's challenging people um even when there are folks in your small group that you're like gosh i just don't like that person very much or uh they really bother me or they get on my nerves or uh they talk too much or you know whatever it might be it's it's us figuring out how do we love one another in the midst of those things and how do we how do we uh represent the church in those messiness and in that in that craziness so let me stop there yes jacob is there any point at which uh, uh, I should uh, decide that it's appropriate to treat a member of a small group like a tax collector? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yes, I think biblically we have that. Uh, we have evidence of that. Um, you, and by tax collector, I'm assuming you mean like someone who is not a believer, uh, right. a lost person, basically. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think. Um, you know, if there, if we're not seeing fruit of the Spirit, if there's not a confession of faith, uh, I mean, there's multiple things that you can kind of say. Gosh, it doesn't look like this person knows the Lord. Um, now, it's one thing to do a fair assessment of that. It's another in how we treat that person. I think so. If you look at that person, and go, Gosh, I'm not seeing a lot of fruit of the Spirit. I wonder how I can begin to pray with them. I wonder how I can begin to minister to them so that maybe they can come and uh, and and that the word of god would even begin to transform their life so that yes they're not attacked they're they're not falling in the category of the tax collector you know not a i would never say you got somebody in your small group that that maybe is acting like they're lost and so just shun them and forget about them Uh, we wouldn't do that we would say how do we love that person how do we come alongside that person and open the word together and pray for that person uh, and I think the Lord gives you discernment in that. And, and I'll, you know, from my own uh, experience, I can tell you there have been times where I've thought that, you know, uh, about somebody just, just and, but then got into a conversation with the person and gone, hmm, there's more there, there than I was expecting. Like we can, uh, there's, some, there's some things that are a little off, but if I can spend some time with this person, study the scriptures together, we'll let the Holy Spirit do the work and, uh, and, and uh, you know, bring them along. Again, stir them up. Yeah. To love and good deeds, absolutely um, without without coming at it from a uh, a judgmental perspective of i 'm better than you, so i 'm going to bring you to where I am, but really coming along from a humility perspective of saying, as Mike said in his sermon, showing one beggar uh, where the where the bread one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is, um, yeah. and that that really is. Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. And then reconciliation is something that uh, in fellowship and gathering, it's not something that we talk hugely about in in this session. But, um, you know, Matthew 18 is a huge piece of reconciliation, because when you uh, if you go back to to this, uh, when we get here in the chaos and we want to go to the pit, uh, oftentimes it's because somebody in that small group hurt us. Or somebody said something that hurt us and we, they didn't even know they said it and hurt us, but they hurt us anyway. And so that chaos feels like, ah, I just, it's too uncomfortable. I don't want to, I don't want to try to reconcile with them. So I'd just rather run away and let me find a new small group. Uh, that's not the way Jesus actually told us to do it. He said in Matthew 18, when a, when a brother hurts, you go to that brother. And he gives you a whole, you know, he gives you four steps basically of how to be reconciled because Jesus knew that if you're going to live in community together and you're going to love one another and you're going to share in gifts with one another and you're going to look out for one another, you're going to hurt one another. At some point, you're going to hurt somebody. And so to be in true fellowship and and not this, not this convenient community or fake fellowship means that in that hurt, hey, there's the bells, uh, in that hurt, that means I have to be uh, be really um, conscious of the fact that I've hurt somebody or somebody's hurt me and be willing to go to them. And if you're in any, rela- I'll tell you, any relationship is that way. My marriage is that way. You know, if I hurt my wife, she tells me that, I have to go humbly and say, gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I did that. You know, or, or I did know I did it and, you know, it felt good and I shouldn't have done it. You know, whatever the case may be, but you got to go and forgive. And Yes. I would say one of the difficult passages <clears throat> to, one of the hard parts, yeah. 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 And you know, some people, you know, they're willfully blind. Yeah. And you can't, you know, mm-hmm. you're approaching exactly in are saying. they just they can't perceive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and that's where, um, you know, Jesus was clear when you go to the disciples. When you go into a place and they don't accept you, you wipe you dust the. Uh, dust off your sandals and move to the next place. I don't think that's the first resort. That's not what Jesus is saying. Hey, you don't like this person. Just dust off your feet. I, that's not what he's saying. I think he's saying if you've tried and if you've if you've poured out yourself and and somebody or, or some group or something has rejected you over and over and over again, there's a point where you say, all right, they're not ready. So I'll move on to who might be ready. And that sounds harsh, but it really is what, um, you know, and, and that doesn't mean we leave them all by themselves you know we still pray for that person we still maybe keep in touch with that person um but to truly experience fellowship and and community we have to get to a place where we're willing to crucify the flesh um and otherwise it it stays pretty surface and pretty chaotic and uh and you kind of bounce back and forth of do i want to stay here do i want to leave um and, and when we start to do this, that's when we start to really experience true um, true uh, fellowship together. I want to give you one thing just as because uh, I like to, me personally, I like to take things away and go, okay, what can I do with this? Um, so I made a list. Uh, it's not my list. I, I, I kind of borrowed the list from uh, somebody else. But there's a list uh, of one another's that you find in the Bible. And this is not the only uh Things, But this is a pretty exhaustive list of where God, uh, Jesus, as well as Paul and several of the other uh, disciples who wrote uh, books of the Bible talked about being in fellowship with one another, what it looked like to be at peace with one another, wash one another's feet, love one another, devoted to one another, so on and so on and so on. And then if you go to the back of that, it gives you just some questions to be thinking about uh, and maybe begin to evaluate in your own heart. Uh, have i done these things what does my church experience look like when it comes to this uh, what would it look like if i started to do these things well uh, because I think if if we as a church begin to love one another well and engage in fellowship together well then we're going to be a healthy church and so uh, if you do this personally and then others do this then we'll start to see a very healthy uh, dynamic of how we love one another and love each other well so any other thoughts or questions before we dismissed today? No? Nope. All right. Let me pray for us. Thank you guys again. Yeah. Father, we're thankful again. Thank you for this call to love one another. And Lord, I know for those who are considering being part of a small group, getting involved here at the Advent, knowing that uh, there is going to be some some messiness that, gets in, that, that comes as part of that. But God, we thank you that you work in the mess and that, Lord, you're able to take that messiness, and turn it into a message oftentimes. And so just ask, God, that you would do that for those who are considering that today. And I give you thanks for your word today and how you've challenged us. For it's in the name of Christ we pray this. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.